channel or wherever you're uh, catching us today. Welcome, everybody. So nice to have you with us here at uh, Restoration Life Church. Our pastor does send his greetings and blessings from scenic Big Bear Lake, California. Uh, all the guys are up there for a men's retreat this weekend. And uh, so here I am because I'm, I'm the last guy left. Uh, no, um, no, honestly, I, I, I didn't go because um, we had a car show yesterday. And uh, our car show was a, a benefit for Destiny Rescue. Uh, so before I go any further, I do want to say thanks to uh, my dad. I know he's watching at home right now on the live stream. He's been a soldier for me every year. Dad, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I want to thank everybody who came out to labor yesterday, uh, my wife and Carmen Marquez, Julian Gus Perez, um, Julabeth came out, and Martha and Grizel, and there's all kinds of folks came out. Thank you all. Special thanks to uh, Big Ray Keffer and J&K Fresh for a very generous uh, donation for our raffle table. Dr. Klebe, you didn't even know when you came over to my house the other day, you were donating to the raffle, so uh, thanks Stella for stepping in on that one. And uh, thanks, Dr. Schmolder and Great Body Fitness and all the guys, everybody who helped to donate to our raffle effort. Now, here's the good news. Um, during the course of the day, before the thing even started, somebody handed me a check for 500 bucks. I said, wow, that's a pretty good start. So then on site yesterday, I want to say we raised about another 1150 So here we are, 1650 Something in that area. Then uh, last night I get a phone call. Hey, I want to give you another hundred. No, seventeen fifty. I'm thinking, hey, this is pretty good, man. That's a great turnout. We uh, we we put our efforts in. We asked the Lord to bless it, and He rained down blessing on it. Fantastic. Then, after I got done preaching the first service today, a fellow walks up to me, goes, "Hey, I got a check for you for another thousand." Right. So we're going to be sending Destiny Rescue uh, a donation in excess of $2,500 this year. And uh, that is uh, in no small part thanks to everybody here who came to support, everybody who showed out, everybody who gave of their finances, their time, uh, even those of you who just came out to smile at me, you know. I was so blessed to have everybody come. So thank you, each and every one of you. Uh, and uh, Corey from Destiny Rescue, the whole organization, and all those kids are thanking you too. Uh, and so you're going to have to forgive me. I got some really, really, I got the worst news I could have possibly gotten last week. Um, I have to go in for some routine testing uh, at the doctor this week, and she told me that I can't have any caffeine for five days. <sighs> man, you want to talk about withdrawals, man. This sucks. But uh, I just wanted to make light of uh, a little bit today, get you guys laughing. We're going to have some fun today, okay? Uh, we, we know that um, our, uh, our topic right now, we're in this, this series of let there be life. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of death and destruction, doubt, despair, a lot of, nothing but bad news, man. I don't, I don't even know. I, I clicked my cable off. I turned my cable off because there's nothing of any value on television. And, you know, you turn on the news and, it, eh, man, it just... Instead of calling it like the nightly news, they should just call it this sucks because there's just nothing good on there. You never, they may have like one little good news story of a kitty cat getting taken down out of a tree or something, but 
you know, there's, there's just nothing ever anything good on there. And um, the, the world can be a real big bummer. And I know that all of us, you know, I can't be the only one who goes through stuff from time to time. You know, I know that um, my wife and I, uh, we've gone through, I love you, babe. Uh, she's standing out in the lobby. Oh, I love that woman. Um, yeah, we've... <laughs> we, <laughs> we've been through a lot, and she's put up with a lot. And uh, if it wasn't for her faith and her faithfulness, and uh, if it wasn't for uh, our pastors and, and the faith that they've had for us, and if it wasn't for the faith that my dad has had for our, our business, and if it wasn't for a lot of these things, you know, we, we, could, we could all find ourselves in, in pretty bad shape. And uh, I found myself desperate. I found myself uh, in times calling out to the Lord, Lord, where are you? When are you going to show up? You know, when are you going to make something happen here, God? And Here's the neat thing about that. He has never not once failed me. The Lord has made a promise to us. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's God saying, I'm never going to leave you hanging. And we're going to talk today. God, God showed us, is showing us something here in Scripture. Today we're going to look at the story of a man named Jairus. And uh, the journey that he makes from a, a time of despair to deliverance along with the help of Jesus. And it, it's a story very literally about life and death. And as we study this out, we're going to find that Jairus is not just a synagogue official who lived 2,000 years ago, but in a very real sense, you and I are Jairus and his journey is ours. And along the path, we're going to meet a woman of great faith whom the Lord appoints as an example of the kind of life-giving faith that it takes to bring about deliverance. And if we're ready to accept her example, then she can be us too. So we're going to observe this portion of Scripture in six different stages as Jairus makes this journey of faith, and it's a journey that brings life. Our text is going to come this morning from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And I'm not going to go ahead and read the whole thing out right up front, uh, but rather we're going to kind of journey along with Jairus. We're going to take this in chunks so that we can see how his story unfolds. So get your, uh, get your smart devices out, flip your paper Bible, whatever. Maybe you got it memorized like that guy in the book of Eli, but let's, uh, let's get to our scripture. I'm going to take a swig here and we're going we're gonna to buckle in for a ride. Okay, so this, uh, this story starts out, we're introduced right up front. It starts out with Jairus in the midst of a trial. It says uh, in Mark 5, 21 through 23, the text says, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed close to the sea. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came forward, and seeing him, Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. Father, we just thank you this morning, God, for your word, your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that it's alive, Lord God, and it speaks to us today, Father. We, we thank you that it's not just a bunch of stories, 
but it's your truth wrapped up in circumstances, Lord God. And I just, I thank you that we can unveil that truth and recognize it and bring it back down into our today circumstances and, and apply the truths of your holy word to our lives. And we just thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So here we find Jairus in the midst of this great crisis. It's a great trial for him. His daughter is sick. And she's not just sick, but she's literally on death's doorstep. And, you know, there's, there's no remedy. There's nothing that the doctors can do. It's a seemingly hopeless situation. Now, Jairus was a, a sort of like an administrative executive in the synagogue. The synagogue, of course, being the, uh, the equivalent to the Jews of the local church in those days. And he was likely a man of means. He had respect and he had the esteem of the people uh, that he was in community with. And he likely had all of the necessary resources to take care of most usual cares and concerns that most people would have. But this particular situation was, is, was one of um, dire circumstance. It was one which was ripping his heart out because he realized that there was absolutely nothing within his power that he could do to save his daughter. And you and I, most of us, we've experienced... Uh, similar things. Perhaps it's the grave illness of a loved one. Perhaps, uh, you know, it's the sudden loss of a job, a disruption in your finances, or maybe even your health has gone upside down. Perhaps it's the loss of a friend or a close family member, the effects of some personal storm in your life. Maybe even, who knows, you, there's a, a tree fell on your house, and now you don't know what's going to happen when it starts raining. Or perhaps it's simply the fear of some personal catastrophe that we perceive as looming off in the distance. But take note that it is this very crisis that brings Jairus to the feet of Jesus. He was well aware of who Jesus was, and as a result, he came seeking him because of all the miracles that he saw Jesus performing. And he really came to him in desperation. It wasn't really a matter of, man, I'm into this Jesus guy, man. I like what this guy's preaching. I like what this guy's teaching. I'm aligned with his teaching. No, no, no. It was really just a desperate move. And so, I mean, what, what can we say? That suffering sucks. Any one of us can agree that suffering sucks. And suffering will often take us into times and places of desperation. But I think we can also realize that sometimes it takes a crisis for us to seek Jesus. Now, it shouldn't be this way, but um, all too often, that's exactly what it takes. Sometimes for you and I, we, we get our, into a place where we're just kind of coasting through life. We find ourselves, everything's hunky-dory, there's no real big waves, but sometimes it takes, and, and the truth is, is a lot of times we kind of start to ignore and forget who God really is, who he really is to us, how strong and powerful, how sovereign, how mighty he is. And so sometimes it does take a crisis to finally get us to the point where we do cry out, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you right now. Lord, I need you to sow yourself strong in this instance. I cannot survive this circumstance without you. So here we find Jairus, who is quite possibly a real kind of a, a proud synagogue official. He was possessed of great dignity, and now he's kneeled at the feet, flattened out before Jesus, pleading for his mercy. And don't we often find ourselves in this same position? It remains a mystery why it plays out like this, but for whatever purpose, 
God quite often allows suffering to find us for a season and for a reason. Now, Jairus is undergoing a trial, but remember that there is a test in every testimony. So Jairus goes from a trial to literally traveling with Jesus. We go from trial to traveling with Jesus. In verse 24, the text tells us that Jesus went off with him, and a large crowd followed him, and they pressed in upon him. So as we read, we discover that what happens is there's kind of a delay that begins to develop here. Now, Jesus could have simply just healed the daughter instantly from right where he was, the same way he did with the centurion's daughter in Matthew chapter 8 and in Luke chapter 7. But instead, what Jesus says in effect to Jairus is, let's journey together for a while. Let's go for a little walk. Let's kind of cruise back to your house. And uh, I could just kind of see Jairus, I know that what he expected is the same thing that we see with, he just figured, oh, Jesus is going to take care of it. But Jesus said, no, nah, come on, let's go for a walk. And so we know it's going to take a minute to actually get to Jairus's house. And on top of that, now there's this huge crowd that is kind of clamoring around Jesus, trying to get his attention, trying to get a piece of him. So I'm certain that their path was neither clear nor swift. And so the Lord delays the healing of the daughter. And as we're going to see, this delay actually results in her perceived death. And we too, you and I, we often have to experience the delay. You know, like I do, that sometimes our crying out for healing and mercy doesn't always yield instantaneous results. I believe that the Lord, with all my heart, I believe that the Lord has purpose for us in living with our questions and living with our struggles just for a little while. He wants to walk with us on this journey of faith. And that requires a special kind of waiting and a watchful trust. And so such a delay is part of God's plan to build trust and build faith. And it may be a God-ordained delay or it may be the meddling of the enemy. But whatever the cause, the Lord often requires that we wait, that we hold out. And so the Lord walks with Jairus as he walks with us, and he summons us to a faith that holds on. In Psalm 30, verse 5, Scripture says that sorrow may come for a night, or in this translation, weeping may endure for a night. But what comes in the morning? Joy. All you got to do is ride out the night. The joy of the Lord comes upon you. So we go from the trial to now traveling with Jesus. And along the way, we encounter testimony. They set off for Jairus' house. And along the way, the Lord arranges a lesson in trust for Jairus in the person of a woman of strong faith. Verse 25 through 34, this passage of Scripture is generally taught all on its own to speak on faith. However, we have to understand that her faith is coming in context of the, the story of Jairus. It's an illustration. It's, it's a help for Jairus. There was a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for 12 years. I'm sure a lot of you have heard this story before. She had suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet she was not helped, but she only grew worse. 
She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She said, if I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. And immediately her flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And Jesus, aware at once that power had gone out from him, turned around into the crowd and said, Who has touched my clothes? But his disciples said to Jesus, You see how this crowd is pressing up against you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. And the woman, realizing what had happened to her, approached in fear and in trembling. And she fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Here is a woman of remarkable faith. Like Jairus, she was completely out of options. She'd spent all her money. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. She was ostracized because of her affliction, because she was deemed unclean, because of this issue. She couldn't live in public with everybody. She couldn't have contact with anybody. She, she was risking being stoned by pressing into this crowd to touch the Lord. She was desperate. She had come to a point in her life's journey that she simply was out of options and she knew that this Jesus was the one who could heal her. And all she had to do was touch him. But it wasn't going to come without some kind of effort, without some kind of struggle. And she made a point of doing it. And what happened? She was healed. So surely she came to this faith only after a long and arduous and painful journey. It says it took 12 years but the fact is that she came to that moment, and she had the faith, and she touches Jesus. And what's the result, Lena? Word. She got healed. Now, I don't want you to miss out on the significance of this touch, because Jesus certainly does not. He sensed the power going out of him. He sensed her faith, and he says, who touched me? And so the disciples are kind of like, serious, Jesus? Like, Seriously. All, there's hundreds of people who have been bumping up against you in this crowd, and you're going to ask, who touched me? But here's the truth. It's one thing to just bump up against the Lord. It's one thing to just kind of bump into Jesus every now and again. But it's another thing to reach out and touch him in faith. I mean, honestly, how many of us really intentionally reach out and touch God when we're in the midst of a time of crisis? What sort of intention do we possess when we go into a time of prayer? What kind of intention do we possess when we gather together on Sunday mornings or when we come together on Wednesdays for our presence-driven midweek service? We know that God speaks to us through his word, but do we really hear him? Do we really expect a healing when we go before him in prayer and worship? Do we really expect a healing touch directly from the hand of God? What do we expect when we pray? Often it's nothing. Often it's wishful thinking. More than faith-filled, confident belief. So we ask ourselves, are we like the woman who touches Jesus expecting healing or just part of the crowd that bumps into him or brushes against him. There was a God-ordained intent in Jesus meeting this woman of faith. And I think it's fair to believe that God had Jairus in mind when her issue started 12 years ago. 
It is as if by way of this delay, God was saying right to Jairus, Jairus, pay attention to this woman. See what her faith has accomplished. Do you really believe Jairus? Or are you just making desperate pleas and desperate wishes? And quite often the Lord has this way of sending those to us who can testify to us of their faith and show us what can be accomplished through faith. And on this journey, Jairus is given this witness to encourage, to strengthen, to solidify his faith, to his faith. Come on, how many of you in here have had that happen? You came to church on a Sunday morning or you're sitting together in a life group or something happens and somebody either from this stage or sitting right there next to you or discussing with you over coffee down in undergrounds starts telling you their story and how it begins to resonate with you and you go, man, if it can happen for them, I can hold on for one more day. If God can do it for them, I can hold on for one more week. If God can make something happen for them, heck, I've already been doing this for 15 years, I can go one more. But then here's what happens. After Jairus goes from this, this place of kind of desperate wishing to now receiving a testimony that he can tangibly look at, in comes a temptation. In verse 35, the text says that while Jesus was still speaking, people from, this, from his own house came and said, your daughter has died, why trouble the teacher any longer? His, piece, his people basically tell him, it's over, she's dead, move on, leave Jesus alone, he can't help you. Obviously, they had no idea who he was, but do we not get this in our own lives from time to time? Pay attention here, that on this journey, Jairus just encountered this encouraging testimony, and immediately he encounters temptations against his faith. How many of us get that encouragement? We feel built up. We walk out of here, and we get a phone call, or we get an email, or a text, or like me before conference last week, I get my, my car T-boned, and I walked out of that thing thinking it was the other guy's fault. I just got a call the other day. My insurance company goes, nope, you're completely to blame. We're not going to fix your truck. You're not getting anything out of it, and I was like, man, this is a blessing from God. I'm going to get my truck. You know, they're going to pay me off on this truck, blah, 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 blah. I'm getting all rooted up, and then my insurance company goes, uh, no, you're getting sued. Okay, that's awesome. But how many, I mean, we can, we can wind up on these, these roller coasters of faith if we're not careful. Why bother the teacher anymore? Don't you and I, don't we have all kinds of negative Nellies around us? All kinds of naysayers. They don't have any hope of their own, so they insist that we can't either. They insist that we dismiss Jesus because they cannot or will not believe that he is the only answer to all of our lives' situations. Instead, they've already determined that Jesus is of no hope, that God is of no relevance, that the Holy Spirit has no impact. All these secularists, all these people, they, they have no hope, so they ridicule us who do, and then they taunt us to dismiss the Lord from our journey. And this is a temptation that we as believers absolutely have to reject. So he goes from temptation now to a command to trust. Verse 36 through 40, the text says, Disregarding the message that was reported, Jesus said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid, just have faith. That's where Nike ripped it off. They just do it. No, it's just have faith. 
When they arrived at the house of the synagogue official, he caught sight of a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. So he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, she's just asleep. And they ridiculed him. I love this part. And then he put them all out. So we look at Jesus' response to this negative report. It says that Jesus disregarded or dismissed it flatly. In other words, didn't hear it. Those words never penetrated his psyche. Never got into him because he went, nope, I recognize what that is. Ain't having it. You can keep it. Then he turns to Jairus and he says to Jairus, be not afraid, just have faith. And this command that we, it, it, the command that we have faith resonates not merely as an order from Jesus, but as a dynamic principle. The same God who said, let there be light, and there was light, now says, don't be afraid, but have faith. And we understand that this faith that we have isn't even our own, but it's a gift of God. And so what does God do? He assigns Jesus and the Holy Spirit with a principal task of growing that faith that is within us. And as this faith grows, our victories become more and more evident. Our victories become more and more in magnitude. Scripture tells us in Isaiah 40, 30 and 31, that the youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Hebrews 10, 35 and 39 tells us, Do not throw away your confidence, for it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come. He will not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased. But, though, but you, you, me, he's talking to us. We are not of those who shrink back. We are not destroyed. We are those who believe. And as a result, we are saved. So now I'm quite sure that at this point in the story, uh, Jairus' attention level is at a pretty heightened state of awareness. So his faith muscles are, are getting worked out pretty good. He's been tested at every turn. His mind and his heart and his emotions, everything's just being pulled in a gazillion different directions. And then when he walks through the door, it's this huge display of grief and of mourning. And we have to understand that th there, was, there was actually a, a tradition in those days to make as big a spectacle of your grief as you possibly could. Today, nowadays, we, we try and be very reserved and, and composed and all of this kind of stuff, but uh, if you've been to, to uh, funerals in certain parts of the country, you kind of get an idea what that's like. I mean, these people were wailing and screaming and flailing themselves around, and you could hear it for blocks around, and, and if you were a good neighbor, you would join in with their grief, and you would support them in their wailing and their carrying on. So understand that Jairus, Jesus just told him, have faith. Don't be afraid. But he walks in, and what he walks into reinforces every negative he th thought he had on the walk over there. The household was chaos. Everyone in the household perceived the girl as dead. And they were already 
showing that that was their belief. Their actions displayed what they believed in here. Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid. The natural eyes perceive death, but what does God say? God decrees, let there be life. And when Jesus speaks, he speaks very matter-of-factly that the girl's not actually dead, but she's just asleep and they ridicule him. How many of us have been mocked or ridiculed for standing in faith on God's word? How many of us have gotten a hard time or been called, ah, you're crazy, you're stupid, just because we believe that God is who he is and does what he says he's going to do? How many of us have had to endure the mind trips and the spiritual struggles that come along with having to exist in the same environment as unbelief? How many of us have had to fight tooth and nail to keep a firm grip on our faith when everything around us is trying to snuff that light out? So what is Jesus' solution? It says he put them out. Afuera. Beat it. Get out of here. Ain't got no time for that. We got to do the same. We got to cut out every negative influence in our world. We have to cut out anybody who's not going to stand alongside of us in this journey. We got to cut out the people who speak death and doubt and defeat into our situation. And I know it's real easy to cut off people when they're just fringe acquaintances. When it's, easy to, when it's easy to avoid people, it's easy to cut them off. But who can agree with me that it's a little bit more difficult when those people are your spouse or your kids or your family or your friends or your coworkers? These kinds of people that we absolutely cannot avoid. So what do we got to do? We have to take a Romans 12, uh, Romans 12 approach. We have, to, we have to undergo that transformation of our internal thought processes. We have to put on the full armor of God in preparedness to muster up the strength to fight that preliminary battle. And then when we find out, when we do that, when we, when we put all of the things that hinder us out, when we separate ourselves, when we distance ourselves, when we consciously make an effort to put that stuff out, it makes it so much easier to fight the good fight of faith. But we don't want to deal in the minutia. We want God to just answer. We don't want to put the work in to go, you are toxic. Goodbye. Door shut. Turn the lock. Fuera. You're out. We don't want to do that. Oh, no, but we've been, we've been homies since, you know, first grade. Fuera. You're out. Peace. I ain't got no time for you. You know? You know that, that guy that you've been dating for 17 years and he won't put a ring on your finger and he keeps asking you to move in with him? Fuera, beat it. Ain't got no time for that. You know, your, your Catholic mom who, who comes in and, and speaks religion over your faith in Jesus Christ and wants you to, oh, but, but the virgin and the saints and, and all of that and you're, not, and you're not doing enough and it's your fault. Fuera, ain't got time for that beat it you gotta we we have to separate ourselves from this stuff the lord commands faith but he commands faith to bring us reward 
And that reward is the final stage in this journey, and that's triumph. As this text closes, it says, He took along the child's father and mother and those who were with him, which happened to be Peter and James and John. And they entered the room where the child was, and he took the child by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha koum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And the girl, a child of 12, arose immediately and began to walk around. And at that, they were utterly astounded. Jesus established an environment of faith. He eliminated disbelief. He surrounded himself with like-minded, faith-filled believers who had placed all of their hopes on the God who created the universe. He created an environment where, like the encounter with the woman who delayed them on the journey, he created an environment where battle-tested faith was going to be rewarded and the faith of those present would be strengthened. And we notice that Jairus' daughter didn't take her sweet time recovering and regaining her health. He didn't, she didn't spend three months in the ICU and then another five months in recovery and then another six months at home on hospice and then she didn't go into occupational vocational rehab. No, 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 my friends. She stood up. The command of the Lord was arise. And it said she arose immediately and began to walk around because Jesus spoke life over Jairus' daughter. And he spoke life when things looked their absolute bleakest. This journey of faith had to be gut-wrenching for Jairus. Sure, I mean, the whole thing took place over the span of maybe an afternoon. It, this was a real short period of time, but... For a man with a daughter sitting on death's doorstep, it had to feel like an eternity. Maybe, just maybe, you're in the midst of some super intense crisis right now. Maybe it's been some long, lingering, seemingly endless struggle. But sure enough, as sure as I'm standing here, just as Jairus' journey with Jesus leads to victory, so will ours. And it's not just going to be some negligible little victory. It's going to be a sure victory. It's going to be a decisive victory. This victory is going to come according to God's very decree that as it is in heaven, so will it be on earth. You got me? There is nothing that God is... God is full of nothing but good things for His children. It may not be that the Lord is going to raise every dead relative. And that's heartbreaking. But the Lord will surely give us the victory in every travail and every difficulty. And those who die to themselves and find new life in Him, He will surely say, as, the, as He did to that little girl, I say to you, arise. And for us, in every trial, if you are in the Lord and you're journeying with Him and the Lord has promised you complete victory in Jesus to every trial and to every distress and to every struggle and to every concern, you and I have the confidence and the authority to declare by faith, I will rise. Say it with me this morning. I will rise. This side of the church, say it with me. I will rise rise in sufferings and in sickness I will rise in setbacks and in sorrows I will 
rise with tears in my eyes and with no money in my pockets, with my marriage in shambles and my kids gone off the rails, yes, I will say, I will rise. Jairus made a journey with Jesus from trial to traveling with Jesus through testimony and through temptation to the empowering command to trust in the Lord. As the worship team comes up, he finds himself in a place of triumph. The journey of Jairus is our journey, and his victory is ours if we will journey like him. Get in lockstep with Jesus. Take him by the arm and let his, allow his words to penetrate our very soul. To allow our faith to take rock solid foundation in every word that proceeds from the lips of God. Because he's a God who is who he says he is. And he's a God who does what he promises he's going to do. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not a son of man that he should repent. This is the God who created the entire universe. And he loved you and I so much as minuscule as we are in the grand scheme of the billions of light years across. And he loved me enough to send his son. He, sent me, he loved me enough that he sent his son to the earth to walk with people, to come and, and take on all of humanity's indignity and shame on that cross. He, the same God came down to share all of these experiences that they would be recorded so that I could hear about them, so that 2,000 plus years later, somebody who had faith all the way back then told somebody, and then that somebody told somebody, and then that somebody told somebody and that somebody told my grandmother and my grandmother brought my father into this church and my father brought my mother into this church and now I'm standing here because of a seed that was planted in my life of faith when I was just a child and then Pastor Eddie found me out on out on my own little journey man and he brought me and he shared his faith with me and so today I stand here because of faith I have risen from the ashes of my old life because of it. I broke Alana at that song. He knew where I left me. Oh. Me too. Man, oh man, I got a suit jacket on for crying out loud. You know? And I get the honor of sharing my faith with people. But here's the truth, guys. Faith doesn't just happen. Faith, if you look, if you, if you study the word out, faith is an action word. Faith, faith is a doing. It's something you make a conscious decision to do. Uh, Pastor Gene Scott, he's, he's long since passed, but he used to put it this way. He lives according to, and I do too. I live according to the ABCs of faith, which is action based in belief and sustained with confidence that God is who he says he is. Every decision, every move, uh, everything, word of God, spirit of God. I don't do nothing until I've asked him. And so maybe you're in a situation right now where you're struggling. Maybe your faith is fleeting. Maybe you don't think you can hold on any longer. But I'm telling you, he's not always going to be an alcoholic. I'm telling you, he's going to get out of jail and he's going to get his life right. 
I'm telling you that if you'll have biblical faith and practice biblical practices, your finances are going to come back together and God's going to bless you. I'm telling you that the ministry that God has birthed in your heart is nothing to be afraid of. I'm telling you that it's time to step out. So in the very few minutes that we have left this morning, I'm going to open the altars because I want to pray with you. I know that if it wasn't for my faith, I would still be where I was 17 years ago in a really, really, really awful place. Depressed. I didn't want to live. I mean, I, I didn't want to, every night I'd go to bed, Lord, if I don't wake up tomorrow, man, I'm good. I've had enough of life. I'm done. You know, I, 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 I was... but because of what God did in me when I was just a kid. His Holy Spirit stayed with me the whole time. And even though I was living in my sin, I was still clothed in His righteousness. When He looked down from heaven, He didn't see all my filth. He saw His Son in me. God. You haven't wanted to believe because it's easier to live in your chaos than it is to, to make the mental leap to believe that God is who he says he is. But you know right now, you can feel it in your heart. You're going, I know this is real. And you're at, there's somebody in here who's asking themselves, what am I waiting for? Why am I resisting God? I know this stuff is real. And I'm going to tell you right now, the enemy of your soul is trying to keep you from coming into a true and living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the riches and bounty and glory of the Lord's kingdom is available to you this morning and it's just yours for the asking. God is standing there going, here daughter, I've got it for you. It's right here. All you got to do is reach out and take it. And that's a move of faith. We place our faith in Jesus Christ that he took all of our sin and all of our shame and he nailed it to that cross and he wiped the, he wiped the slate clean. No longer are we slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. We are children of the Most High. If that's you today and you say, I, I know, I'm, I'm done with this life. I'm done with trying to do things my way. I, God, Jesus, you've got it. You're, I'm all you. Hands up. If that's you, let me see you up. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, 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 and you, and you, and you. If that's you, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, I'm not trying to embarrass, come down, front. If you raise your hand, come down. Come on down, come on down, come on down, come down. There's a couple in the back that aren't coming down. Yeah, I'm putting pressure on you, come on.